Present. Commissioner Martha Knudsen. Here. Commissioner Michael Pappas is excused. Commissioner Janet Spears. Commissioner Teddy Brijos is excused. Please note that Executive Director Shereen McSpadden is present. And at this time, the commission respectfully asks that you silence all phones and cell producing devices. Thank you. Um, there's been one change to the agenda, and that is we will be moving the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council report to after the director's report and ahead of the employee recognition. So thank you. With that change, may I have a motion to approve the agenda? So move. Do I have a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Item three, may I have a motion to approve the October 2nd, 2019 meeting minutes? So moved. Do we have a second? Second. Any changes? Um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item four, Shireen McSpadden, welcome. Good morning, Commissioners. So I'm going to start, as usual, with the uh, federal update. And um, so last week, the Dignity and Aging Act was passed by a unanimous vote, voice vote in the U.S. House of Representatives. The bill would reauthorize the Older Americans Act through 2024. The Federal Older Americans Act, which expired in September 30th, which I've been talking about a little bit, provides vital home community-based services to more than 11 million older adults and caregivers each year. Um, so basically what the House passed was to extend it for five years, two years longer than the prior reauthorization. Um, they provided notable increases in authorized funding, a 7% increase the first year with 6% increases each year after, totaling a 35% increase over five years. They included language to make clear that AAAs can engage in private pay, integrated care, and other arrangements to expand services outside of the Act. They provided for additional funding to support Title VI Native American Aging, uh, Native American Aging Programs, specifically for the provision of supportive services and capacity building training. They removed the Title III-E cap on grand families and older relative caregivers. They included the creation of new research and demonstration authority at the U.S. Administration on Aging. And they recognized the ne negative effects of social isolation and loneliness and reinforced the aging network's role in preventing isolation and promoting engagement among older adults. So that's really good news. Um, but now, of course, it moves to the Senate. And the Senate has been um, markedly less friendly uh, to this act. And so I'm sure, you know, hopefully we'll still see some of the increases, although um, we may not see these specific increases. So. I'll let you know probably, hopefully by next month, we'll know a little bit more, and maybe by then it will have passed. But um, the good news is it does have bipartisan support, and I think the questions really are, you know, where will it land in terms of, um, you know, appropriation and, and spending authority. Um, and then this, at the state level, the master plan for aging is chugging along. Um, of course, it, it's actually not chugging along. It's on a fast track because it needs to be completed by October of 2020 and back on the governor's desk for his approval. Um, there's no specific guidelines for, um, for budget proposals with this. It's really, a, it's really a framework for how the state should move forward over the next 10 years with respect to aging. And I think one of the other things that's important about the Master Plan for Aging is it's not just about older adults. It's actually a plan for aging in California for years, you know, for 10 years. And so it's really about people 
who are going to turn 60 in 10 years or turn 65 in 10 years as well as those people who are already there. Um, San Francisco's had some participation in it mostly through mostly because I've been asked to be in, to be um, to participate, I guess, in a couple different ways. One of them is there's the advisory council, which advisory committee, which is kind of the overall overarching master plan leadership committee, working with the state. Um, and n nobody in San Francisco, I think, made it to that. Um, although there are some people who are on it who who focus some of their work in San Francisco. Um, but for the for the two subcommittees, one is research and one is long-term supports and services, um, I was named to the research subcommittee, which just means that we can help really shape the, um, what is it? Sorry, I'm like looking at my notes here and I can't find where I wrote it. <clears throat> but really it's about thinking about what data points we would use, how we, how we measure success, um, what things we should be looking at, I think in terms of, you know, how to even get at what we need to think about. So for instance, I would, should we be thinking about all the barriers to specific, to access to nutrition services, for instance? Should we create a roadmap for that? So it's, it's grappling with questions like that. It's also thinking about, you know, do we use the age and disability friendly domains that we use in San Francisco, thinking about things like transportation and, and nutrition and domains that the public can understand should we be framing things in that way so that it's a it's got an important role and then the long-term supports and services subcommittee is really thinking about um, what the various pieces of long-term supports and services should go into the plan and the state asked me to come up and talk about our hub our rent benefits and resource hub as a model that they might like to think about at creating at the state level so um, I think most of you know, because we've talked about this a bit, but we really coordinate a lot of services in that hub, including um, eligibility for IHSS and CalFresh, Medi-Cal, um, thinking about what services people need, trying to take a, a person-focused approach to services to say, okay, this person might be asking for one thing, but what else do they need? And the state, I think, really wants to mirror that at the state level and maybe think about having that throughout California, either at the county level or at the AAA level. So it's been interesting to be part of that. Um, and then yesterday I was asked to come up and meet, I was invited by the California Food Policy Advocates to take part in a small meeting of state and local partners um, who administer nutrition programs for older adults and kind of just start an exploratory discussion about how coming together might help with collective impact. You know, what things do we need to, to kind of what recommendations do we need to put forward to the state with respect to nutrition, nutrition programs, wait lists, um, just the whole person approach again, all of that. So it's been interesting to be part of that. And I think, you know, the, the plan will start shaping up hopefully in the next few months and we'll start understanding better what direction this is going to go. But it has a lot of really serious impact for our work in San Francisco as well as the work across the state. So, um, and then locally, I'm sure everybody knows that our Proposition B passed overwhelmingly yesterday. And so that what that means is this department will change from Department of Aging and Adult Services to Department of Disability and Aging Services. It will also change the makeup of the, of the commission to ensure that there's representation of people with disabilities and veterans on the commission. And so I think... Um, we're not exactly sure what this means. It doesn't change overnight. I think that there may be 
something that the board needs to do before it actually goes into effect, but we're checking in with the city attorney's office to see what the next steps are. So I will be sending something out um, probably in the next few days about um, about kind of where we are with this now and what, and, and as soon as we know, you know, how we're gonna move forward with that, we'll let everybody know and we'll, sit, we'll start thinking about what our public campaign around the name change will look like. I, at, the, um, at the same time, because the Human Services Agency is in the middle of a rebrand and we're very, very close to launching, this is great timing and it'll allow us to create new materials and really do an agency-wide campaign that includes the name change here as well as the, the rebranding for the agency. And it's so, you know, we weren't sure if it was going to all work together, but it seems like it's going to work really well and that it'll all be good timing. So we won't be doing things, um, you know, in shifts. We'll be doing it all at once. So it's, that's a very exciting. And then I also just wanted to give you a quick um, slide presentation on our Reframing Aging campaign, which I'm super, super excited about. We launched it a couple of weeks ago. We've gotten some really good uptake. Um, we have some really great media buys, and I think some of you have been involved in the social media piece, but we're going to just go through it a little bit so you, so you can understand the elements of it in case you haven't had the chance to hear those. And so I'm going to ask Rose to help me out with the PowerPoint. <clears throat> So um, as you can see, we have a bunch of, what's the problem? Are we good, Bridget? Okay, thanks. Okay, so um, we have, we created this um, design basically by use, by asking the community for older adults who really represent the diversity of San Francisco and who have really great stories to share. And so we got some great candidates and ended up having to choose five older adults um, who represent the diversity of San Francisco and have very different stories. Um, I think, you know, it was hard to choose because people really had such great stories and we have, we have such a wealth here of older adults and with and experience and wisdom and all of those things. So um, as you can see here, what we ended up doing with, with the help of our creative agency was to take the older adult's eyes and with a, paired up with a younger face, kind of to give the impression of this is your future self. Um, the first part of the campaign is really aimed at 30 to 50 year olds because they're the people who might be um, thinking about aging, also probably often caring for parents or grandparents, and then may also be caring for children. So they're really a caregiver generation that can be hopefully won over to kind of help fight ageism. So we have um, so we have these faces throughout the city, and those is it four or five? Yeah. So that's four of the five right there. And hopefully you've seen them up around the city, either on wallscapes or the, on right on, in fact, right outside of City Hall. Yeah. Let's go through. So yeah, here's some more images of where they are across the city, Caltrain Station. And then 
to get to the what people have been very excited about. Um, we have buttons and we have postcards and we have posters that we're sharing. We've shared certainly with uh, all of our community providers and our staff, but we also have buttons here today. There's some on the table if you want to take them home. If you want to put a poster up anywhere, um, either at your residence or somewhere that you go to hang out, um, it'd be great. Because what we're hoping to, to do is to get people to click on the URL and endageism.com and really learn about what ageism does, learn about these five people and their stories and start reading some of the articles and then taking the pledge to help end ageism in San Francisco. So how to get involved? There are six things you can do. You can add the logo to your email signature if you're somebody who's inclined to use an email signature. You can announce um, any of this, we can give you materials to um, put things in your newsletters. If you have an, a, a newsletter, again, that you're part of a club and you want to do it, or if, you're, if you have a newsletter at your residence or anywhere else. Um, social media, if you're inclined to use social media, you can post and use the hashtag, uh, hashtag endageismsf. You can like our Facebook page, which we would really encourage you to do if you use Facebook. Um, we want to get as many likes on there as we can. You can share printed materials, postcards, and posters. If you don't pick up any today, um, you can certainly get them from Kate at Community Living Fund, um, Community Living Campaign, sorry. And then wear buttons around the city. I've, I've been wearing mine as much as I can, and I've certainly had people come up and ask me. Part of the reason that they're small, they are small, and part of the reason is to get people to come up and look closely at it and say, huh, what's that, and ask you about it. And I've certainly had a lot of people asking me when I've been wearing my buttons. And then you can sign up for weekly emails to stay up to date on our campaign themes. And you can sign up online part, uh, to and hit partner with us in the bottom left of the web page so that you can that you can get those. So just quickly moving on to our results. Um, we've had one point is this one point seven thousand? One point seven seventeen hundred. We've had seventeen hundred people have shared our reframing aging pledge on social media. Um, we've had forty one page followers on our Facebook page, but we really would like to get that up. Our mailing list, we've had 175 people signed up for the Reframing Aging email list, another 70 on the provider's weekly email list. And then we've distributed tons and tons of postcards and buttons and, and posters. Those seem to be doing really well. And so our insights from our paid social media is the campaign is starting to scale on both Facebook and LinkedIn. And it takes a bit to get it really going, right? So it's, it's building momentum for sure. And then we've had a higher engagement with organic posts, things that we post. For, for instance, I post on my own page, um, HSA on our partners. We've gotten a lot of engagement with that. And so, again, if you're somebody who uses social media and you're able to use your own page, your own, you know, your own um, channels to do this, it really helps boost this whole campaign. Or if you just want to encourage others to do it. So um, hopefully you'll take part in that. I think that's basically it. We have a number of partners who took who took part in this. Um, that's the list right there. And I particularly want to thank the Meta Fund for their partnership and definitely Community Living Campaign, who's done a ton of work on this. And we, there's no way that we could have done it um, without them. And then our team within Human Services Agency, Rose Johns, Joe Malika, um, 
were really instrumental in making and moving this forward. And it has just been hours and hours of work. So hopefully it'll take off and people will start paying attention. One of the things that I've, I've heard, um, you know, when I've been traveling um, statewide, but also I've heard a lot from our national partners that people are just super excited about what's happening in San Francisco. And this is a piece of it. So um, we're definitely getting our, getting the word out and getting our name out. Thank you. Any comments or questions from the commission? Just, um, it's just so terrific. <laughs> it, it was sort of, uh, I, I'd heard about it, obviously, here, but I live on Van Ness, and seeing those posters, people were just really looking at them. So it's a very, very effective uh, campaign, I think. And, and, and I saw people laughing and loving it, you know, that kind of reaction. And I just wanted to let, let you know that publicly. I mean, it's like really a great... Uh, hook. So I hope we, you know, this is great. We're going to hook people in, and if they learn about services and start getting integrated into all of the things that are out there for them, that's going to be even better. So um, it, it's just congratulations, because I think it was a great start. It's really, it's empowering is a good word for it, I think. Thank you, Commissioner. And I think, um, I think your point about it being a great start is, is true. It is the start. We still have other phases, and we definitely have a lot more work to do, but it's really exciting. Thank you. Um, Shireen, on the Older Americans Act, did I understand you correctly when you said that the Senate ha it has bipartisan support in the Senate as well? It does have bipartisan oh. support. I think, yes, but um, the issue is going to be what, goes, what really goes into it. Is there an increase... Um, do they put all these provisions in that the House put in or not? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Any other comments or questions? Okay. Thank you. Next item on the agenda is the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council. <coughs> Welcome, Sandy. Thank you, Commissioners, for accommodating my uh, schedule for today. Um, I'm Sandy Mori, and I serve on the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council. Uh, we had a meeting in October, and uh, this, this, this meeting was uh, included, included an update on the Dignity Fund funding. Uh, as you may know, we have an extra, not extra, but an additional $3 million added to the Dignity Fund. And within that $3 million, there are certain service areas that are being um, funded uh, in the area of case management, uh, we have evaluation systems, and we have a care navigation RFP that was released. And then in the area of community connection and engagement, we have a neighborhood-based open bid RFP that was released, and we have a programming for transgender seniors RFP released. So this will be the first time in San Francisco that we have this particular population being targeted. As you heard from Shireen, the uh, master plan for California is on a start. And I think the fact that the Shireen is very visible in this whole process and in the structure of the committees and the advisory groups is very important for San Francisco, for her to be visible in, on that body. And um, because the governor is very serious about this, and as you know, this is the first time that I recall that a governor in California has made aging a priority in, in his uh, tenure. Uh, so as you, I know most of you were there, but we had this uh, uh, session where the master plan on aging in California was highlighted, and your own Commissioner Spears 
gave opening remarks, uh, and we had a panel that included your director, Shireen McSpadden, and the supervisors, uh, Sandra Fewer, uh, State Senator Scott Weiner, Assemblyman David Chu, Jeannie Parker-Martin, who was very active in the field of aging, and President of the Supervisors, Norman Yee. It was a very successful event. We had, we had over 1,000 people, and also uh, uh, they were connected through the media. So it was a very, um, a lot of people came, a lot of people were engaged, and so this whole area of attention to aging in the state of California will continue uh, throughout the state. And I think San Francisco can be a model for uh, programming that perhaps the state will look at seriously for obviously more funding for uh, San Francisco. And at the R meeting, we had a um, presentation on a palliative care work group. And so that group is diligently working on that subject matter. And uh, in the areas of legislation, we have health, behavioral health, housing, nutrition, social engagement, transportation, workforce development. All of these particular areas, the Long-Term Care Caring Council will be uh, dealing with subject matters or policy matters related to those subjects and bring it to the attention of San Francisco. So that's the report. It's a short, but um, it is a lot of things that is going on in San Francisco in the areas of aging. And I think the fact that this particular uh, campaign that you're sponsoring on the reframing of aging is very important because it raises the visibility in the public. It just makes people think about it, talk about it, discuss it, and um, have a positive impact on people's image of aging. So thank you for your support for this, and I think that uh, the department will be doing a great job, and of course, congratulations on your Prop B winning. That was a major percentage of voters there. Um, I don't know who those others that voted no. I don't <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, but um, the fact that your commission will now be called Disability and Aging Services Commission is great. It reflects the true population that you're serving. Thank you, Sandy. Yeah. <clears throat> questions? Just one observation um, regarding the palliative care. Both UCSF and Kaiser really embrace palliative care. UCSF now has a division of palliative care, and Kaiser enthusiastically supports palliative care and making it available to individuals who are interested in it and helping to explain the difference between palliative care and curative treatments. They are not mutually exclusive, and they, neither one refers to hospice. There's a lot of confusion about yes. that, but there may be some resources available at UCSF or Kaiser that might help get the word out, but it's a, it's a growing field. Great, so. great. And yes, that's true, Commissioner. And, and um, so UCSF and Kaiser are both members of the palliative care work group and are really active in it. Yeah. Thank you. Commissioner Liu. Sandy, I have a question. I know Laguna Honda has a representative to the long-term care. Now they lost the executive director. Yes. Do they still send someone to the yes. meeting? Yes. Okay. yes, they do. They send a representative from uh, Laguna Honda. I can't recall the name of the person, but he came to our last meeting. And so he was being re he was representing Laguna Honda. Yeah, because it's important that they should be part of it. Yes, exactly. We have actually two representatives from the health department. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Thank you very much, Sandy. Thank you very much. Thank you. The next item on the agenda is <clears throat> employee recognition. 
The DAS Commission and Executive Director Shireen McSpadden will honor Lauren McCaslin from DAS's Office of Community Partnerships. Hey, Lauren. Congratulations. It's exciting. So, um, just because I would, I haven't done this in a while. If everyone from the Office of Community Partnerships could stand, just so everyone can see who you are, and I know not everybody is here today. So the Office of Community Partnerships is just a really essential office within the Department of Aging and Adult Services. I did announce recently that we have changed the name from Office on the Aging because we don't just serve older adults, we serve people with disabilities and older adults, and we thought that Office of Community Partnerships speaks to that, but it also, um, it also really speaks to the fact that this, the focus of this group is really to work with the community, really to engage with our community partners, and it just, it just sounds much better. <laughs> so I'm glad we finally got to change it. But what the, the work that um, everyone in this office does is so essential, and I think they do it with such grace. Um, working with our community providers, you know, is is great, and sometimes it's challenging. Um, they're really innovative thinkers. They're always thinking one about how we can work really well to provide the tools that our community providers need, not just funding, but also other tools and support. But they're also always thinking about how do we serve people in the best way possible. How do we engage community or to have these discussions so that we're putting out the best request for proposals that we can think of and, and our program design is really solid. So I wanted to take the, to, the time to talk about what that office does. And what we also have within this office is we have nutritionists who really work on our food programs, ensure that there's food safety, that we have nutrition education for people across the community, and um, that, that, you know, that everybody's getting the best nutrition services that they can. And Lauren is definitely one of those people who's really stepped up. I, I, I think all of our office steps up all the time. But Lauren, you are, um, you are a star for the month. So I'm going to read what your, your coworkers said about you, because it's great. And I don't know if I could say it better. Um, so Lauren has been instrumental in keeping the nutrition team and nutrition programming on track during a time of transition for the nutrition team. She eagerly took on more grants with the retirement of the lead nutritionist and was diligent in learning about the grants she acquired. In recent months, she played a pivotal role in transitioning two nutrition meal sites, IT Bookman and Swords to Plowshares, um, from one meal provider to another without any disruption in services. These changes have resulted in increased client satisfaction at both locations. She's also playing a key role in planning to launch a new meal site at Booker T. Washington in the next few months. Her diligence and enthusiasm has been crucial to this process. Lauren has developed strong relationships with our community partners and continues to provide that support our nutrition partners appreciate. Her passion for health and wellness along with excellent communication skills was critical in fine-tuning the DOS health promotion grants with our community partner Unlock and to help ensure clients receive quality services and at the same time provide Unlock with the support they need to build and sustain the program. Lauren is a delight to work with, and we're thrilled that she is a member of our nutrition team and a member of Office of Community Partnerships. So, so Lauren, on behalf of the Department of Aging, well, Department of Disability and Aging Services, um, <laughs> congratulations. Thank you so much. Do you want to say anything? No? Okay. All right. <laughs> 
Thank you. The next item in the agenda is the Advisory Council uh, report, which has been submitted in writing. There will be no presentation. And the same is true of the Joint Legislative Committee. There was no meeting, um, no meeting of TAC. And so we've already had LT, the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council, so what's left is the case report. Good morning, Commissioners, Director McSpadden, Greg Moore, co-chair of CASE. Um, I will keep this brief. Our primary focus over the past month um, and currently is our advocacy work for next year's budget. Um, we, are, we have uh, five ad hoc committees that are furiously at work crafting um, the, the language and, and amount of funding for our formal request. Uh, these will be in the areas of the ADRC, Aging and Disability Resource Center, uh, around salary equity, um, outreach, um, which would include funds for individual agencies, um, outreach efforts, um, citywide efforts, and, and some funding for getting there together, uh, 2.0, or next year's getting there together event. Um, Efforts to reach isolated LGBTQ um, seniors, uh, a very, very important and, and highly vulnerable population. Um, the third area was around, fourth area, pardon me, trainings for agency staff. Uh, we have a list compiled um, uh, from our member agencies um, that will help them in doing the important work they do. Um, and then behavioral health support as we uh, have a, a, an ever-growing and ever-aging uh, population that we're serving, uh, we're seeing ever-increasing um, challenges in terms of behavioral health that our, our service center staff are simply not equipped to deal with. Uh, and so we're, we'll, be, we'll be outlining funding requests for clinical support staff um, at uh, the service centers as well as trainings in how to, to best deal with those situations. Um, our goal is to get that formal request uh, to Director McSpadden in early December, uh, and we'll report out that at, on that at the next meeting. Uh, last month's membership meeting brought Director McSpadden and Brian Chu from the Mayor's Office on Housing and Community Development for um, annual uh, talk, if you will, chat with, with case members. Uh, we got some, some very good informational updates and, uh, and a robust Q&A session, so uh, was very informative and, and well-received. Um, our case co-chairs, myself and Sue Horst, uh, along with um, Marie Jobling and Fiona Hinsey from uh, the Dignity Fund Coalition are continuing our efforts to uh, formalize the plan for case co-chairs and Dignity Fund Coalition co-chairs 
to uh, take over leadership of the Dignity Fund Service Provider Work Group. Um, we met this past month. We will meet again this month um, in structuring that, and then we'll give a more detailed report out on that at our next meeting, uh, commission meeting. Um, at this month's uh, meeting, we're going to have Chris Flannery back with us. Uh, he's an outreach specialist with uh, Harbinger Consulting, uh, returning to present on the very important homes, ho health homes program. He presented er um, earlier this year, uh, and we felt it was uh, so very important that we wanted to invite him back and give him additional time uh, to present on that and, and also offer it as a uh, training session that uh, agency staff could get uh, continuing education credit for. So we look forward to that on the 21st. Uh, note for any of you that might be interested in attending our uh, November meeting will be not on the second Monday as usual, but on the third Monday, November 21st. And then finally, a, a save the date notice to you that our case holiday, annual holiday party uh, will be next month on the second Monday, the 9th from 4 to 30 to 6.30, and we will get a, a formal invitation out to you later this month. That's my report. Any questions I can answer? Thank you very much, Greg. <clears throat> One question, why do we have any idea why you're seeing increased behavioral health issues um, with um, adults or adults with disabilities? Why we are seeing them? Yeah. Um, it's a, a combination of two factors. One, that the population is increasing. We are seeing serving more clients. Uh, and two, they are aging. And so as aging, uh, the, the, uh, some of the um, symptoms that you see are, for instance, dementia uh, and Alzheimer's, which can result in some very significant um, behaviors. Okay, thank you. Any other comments or questions? Thank you very much. Thank you. Item number five, old business. There is none. Item number six, new business. And we have a presentation on the age and disability friendly San Francisco report and effort. Welcome, Valerie Coleman. All right. Good morning, Commissioners, uh, Executive Director McSpadden. I'm Valerie Coleman. I'm a program analyst with the Department of Disability and Aging Services. Um, and I'm here to share our age and disability friendly report. You should have received a copy of this in your um, board packet. Some of you are familiar with this. Some may not. Um, this report highlights the age and disability friendly work that's currently going on in San Francisco including um, a brief background, the development of our baseline assessment, from that our action plan and our current implementation. I will be providing a much abbreviated version of the report and the background, but I encourage you to review the report, reach out to me if you have any questions you wanna get involved and that includes commissioners and the general public as well.
The age-friendly movement has really gained some significant move momentum, particularly in the last five years, I would argue. Um, as we see most recently from state legislation, very exciting, AB 1118 um, initiates a process of California becoming an age-friendly state, which is very exciting. It will be one of five. Uh, a number of trends have really contributed to this age-friendly movement. Um, as commissioners and guests are well aware, we have a growing aging population, and that's not just uh, baby boomers, it's also folks with disabilities. Thanks to uh, disability rights movement and um, advances in science, we have folks living longer than ever. We also are seeing a population shift to urban settings for employment, amenities, family, transportation, um, and policies, legal practices, and uh, pre legal precedents and practices that really emphasize community-based living, which I think all of us are very familiar with in the contracts and the partnerships that we do, um, as opposed to institutionalization. And also, this important idea of the ecology of aging, which was uh, an awareness in the late 70s that um, was very phenomenal realization at the time and very common now that the environment has a direct impact on how we age. So this is all sort of culminated in this age-friendly movement. Currently, the result is that over 400 communities in the U.S. are age-friendly, including pretty much the entire Bay Area, whether it's the city or the county level. And all of these train, uh, trends, I would add, are local, national, and global. Next slide. While there are a number of age-friendly type frameworks, the most commonly used by communities really is the World Health Organization's age-friendly uh, cities, which was developed a little over 12 years ago at this point. It was initially piloted in 33 cities globally, and Portland was the first and only U.S. city at that time. So they definitely have the longest um, age-friendly effort in the U.S. here. Really, in a nutshell, this framework has three key characteristics. One, it was intended to be... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, a flex, so uh, this, in a nutshell, this framework really has three key characteristics that I think are important in understanding. One, um, it really is a flexible place based framework um, that is easily adapted to best reflect different communities. So as we go through, you'll see that the age and disability friendly effort here in San Francisco really reflects our community priorities. It is also a holistic and comprehensive approach to planning that encourages communities work collaboratively with different departments, organizations, community members, universities, things of that nature. And it really truly is long range planning. So. Because of that, it needs to be dynamic and iterative. This current plan is only the beginning, and the goal is truly to ensure that San Francisco is accessible and inclusive 10, 20 years from now. Um, and to achieve that, it means that each year we're building upon the work that we're doing. San Francisco's effort in particular has, a tr has truly been a grassroots uh, effort. And awareness around the need for long-range planning of this sort was initiated by community members and advocates way preceding even the World Health Organization's model as early as 2002. Uh, the first work group came together in 2011. Um, they did great work, including making sure that San Francisco was designated a global age-friendly city in 2014. Um, and since then, in, in 2017, 
we created a, um, a task force which included 32 members of the um, population, either folks who had experience with this, worked with folks like this, had expertise, or had expertise in the different domains, which I will also talk about. Uh, this task force met for a year, developed the baseline assessment. All of this stuff is actually available online. Um, and what they create, what they came up with in the baseline assessment really created our action plan. San Francisco, again, I mentioned San Francisco's effort is unique uh, to our community, and it really reflects our priorities. We are, to date, the only age and disability-friendly effort. So when I refer to something as age-friendly, it's the larger, broader movement. But age and disability-friendly talks about here, the work we're doing here specifically. Um, you can see that our target population, in addition to older adults and folks with disability, we also include cognitive impairment, which is dementia, and caregivers. So we, we also spent a lot of time making sure that um, the concerns or challenges or the ways that it overlapped with caregiving were included in our work. And on the right-hand side are the eight domains or our areas of focus. And these eight areas really provide the framework for this planning effort. They are loosely borrowed from the World Health Organization, but again, they are very specific to San Francisco. For example, at the time that the World Health created it, they didn't have an emergency or disaster preparedness domain. And so that's a big part of the work that San Francisco agencies and departments are doing. And so that's adjusted to best meet our needs. And in a nutshell, when you agree to be an age and disability friendly city, you're agreeing to loosely these four ideas. Um, a baseline assessment, so spending a year, really determining where San Francisco's assets and gaps are with regards to aging um, in San Francisco. So that, and as well as where our partners, key advocates, and potential funding. Based on the assessment, we developed an action plan, and so that's what's in this um, report, it outlines our action plan. Our task force had no shortage of fantastic ideas. Uh, we came up with over 220 actions that needed to be implemented in three years. Um, and so we really had to do a process of um, prioritizing that and including SMART goals and partnerships and, and really looking at um, how to bring that number to a manageable amount this first year. So we have 24 recommendations, which is three for each domain that we are currently working on. And then implementation. So we will, implementation lasts for three years, and January 2020 will actually be our final year of implementation for the action plan. An important note, reminder, this is absolutely a dynamic process, and I think even in the um, baseline assessment with our task force, we realized that we were not gonna be able to capture everything this first year. This is not the perfect plan, but with each iteration, we hope that it gets better and better and more specific to the community we're serving. And then 2021, I will be focusing on how to evaluate all the great work we've done. So implementation, that's what I spend a lot of my time on right now. Um, the action plan and thereby our approach has been focused on incorporating a few considerations and deliverables. Um, our project ideas, project types are all across the board. Some are policy, some are local, some are at the state level, some are pilot programs, some are education. It, de it depends on the domain and the gaps identified. Some of our projects are short-term, some are long-term, um, and that's also really important to make sure that we have momentum and win and things like that. 
And then all of our recommendations needed to meet certain SMART goals. So we wanted to make sure that these recommendations were actually tangible, were measurable, um, they addressed gaps, had identified partners, things like that. And it was really, and you can see more about the SMART goals on page 21, but it was really the combination of all that that helped us um, bring down from 224 recommendations to 24, which is what we're working on right now. And additional considerations that are really important to our work is developing partnerships um, that are relevant to these different recommendations. So with local universities, city departments, neighborhood-based groups, always making sure that we leverage existing efforts. There are fantastic things happening out there like the Vision Zero work. Um, and so things that are like-minded, really partnering with those, ensuring stewardship with partners from the beginning. So making sure that they're at the decision-making table and are more likely to help us uh, push forward these, this work. And then a constant reminder that this is ongoing effort, that this rather than being comprehensive, which is just not realistic in this type of work. We won't get everything perfect, but we hope that it will get better with each draft. These are um, our primary champions. As you can see on the right, we really have a diverse range of project partners. And while some of our projects overlap with um, DOS, is it still DOS or DDoS? We'll have to talk about how we use the acronym now. Um, the DOS acronym. Uh, sorry, the DOS priorities. Um, some live very squarely within the DOS world, but others um, are much more in transportation or housing um, or small business. And so a, a lot of the work that we do is actually broader than um, the work that DOS does inside. Um, and so while DOS staffs this initiative, we've always made sure that the the body has reflected different departments and organizations and agencies. So currently on our implementation group, our co-chairs are Nicole from the Mayor's Office of Disability, who's a really great advocate for this work, and Kelly Dearman from IHSS Public Authority. So she brings the um, CBO perspective. And this has always been really important because this is truly a citywide effort. And then these are some of our projects. On the left are things that um, we consider completed. Things on the right are ones that we're working on. What's very exciting is you've heard about two of them. Um, so Greg mentioned our Getting There Together celebration, which was fantastic. Happy to talk about that at any other point. Um, and then also, uh, um, Shireen had mentioned the citywide Ages of Marketing campaign, which is very exciting. So. Uh, we are busy, and with each of these projects, we work with different partners, whether they're departments or community members or um, nonprofits. And then my next steps, um, our group meets quarterly um, because so much, so much of this work is actually roll up your sleeves and do things. The quarterly meetings are much more sort of checking in, where are projects, who needs help and support. It's always open to the public. Uh, we, I will also be working finishing implementation for 2020, and then after that, I will be thinking about how we evaluate and measure our work. So I'll probably come back and share, here's our results, here's how we did. And then the goal is to then update the action plan with as much involvement as possible and go through the process all over again. Uh, that is our website, um, HSA, and then Age and Disability Friendly SF. You can find our reports, meeting, um, all the background, the memos that really led into this work um, is in there. And that's all I have. Do you have any questions? Thank you, Valerie. Um, I have a couple, one observation or a question and another comment. Um, 
Now that you're in the implementation stage, have you found many surprises from your original plan, things that you did not anticipate either for the better or the worse? Absolutely. Um, and thank you for bringing that up. I should also add that the action plan is listed at the back of the report, 41, or sorry, 43. Um, but so much of this work, we knew that there was a gap and we knew that we wanted to address a certain issue, say folks with disabilities around employment. But it's not until you really start working on it and talking to departments and, and people that are experiencing it that you can understand the nuances. And so while our recommendations say to identify and develop uh, recommendations that address discrimination are the things we will always work towards, the actions are changing because the more we learn about it or the more um, we sort of struggle or hear experts or consumers it, it changes our direct action a bit. So I would say more than half of them have had to shift to better meet the context and the needs on the ground, which I find really exciting, and it's also a little stressful. But, but I think it's commendable because it shows a certain amount of resiliency and flexibility in the approach, yeah. and rather than being rigid about the original plan. So I think that's really a very good thing, um, <laughs> that you are able to manage the surprises. The second question I have in the project partners, mm -hmm. MTA is listed and mm -hmm. certainly Vision Zero is admirable. And the MTA has also important and laudable goals about mm -hmm. speeding mm -hmm. bus service and getting more people to more places more quickly. But in the course of doing that, they've eliminated many stops. They've made a lot of things more difficult for seniors. Mm -hmm. The designs of some of the new Muni Metro cars are intended for more people to be standing rather than sitting. And so how do we address their laudable goals with moving more people faster and the needs of older adults and people with disability who have to ride Muni? Mm -hmm. Great question. Um, when I present on this work, I'm often asked about transportation and housing. Um, those are huge things that we experience on a daily basis. And I think with MTA, what has been great about this work is that I have developed partnerships and really close relationships with some of the staff and some of the um, advocates actually within the transportation world. And in the areas of that, um, what I have learned is also ways to plug in our people. So it, it, it provides, this type of work provides a, a communication bridge. So whereas advocating sort of for bus stops or doing that kind of work may not fall within the world of DOS, um, I'm very familiar of where to plug our community members and, and our CBOs that are concerned about it. Another thing with regards to that is I think um, one of our um, community-based organizations that we work closely with, DOS works closely with, um, has also started a, an effort to really look at the safety of streets. Um, the community living campaign with um, uh, Jennifer really leading the helm of that. And so it's great to be able to know about that work and to sort of sh share it through my network, through the age and disability friendly, right? Um, and then the last thing I'll say is that there's, um, there is a lot of ways to plug in for folks who are passionate or have con concerns about some of these different areas, where they be transportation or rec and park um, or the planning code or whatever. There's everybody has a community engaging and they have an advocacy um, body to some degree. Um, but the Vision Zero particularly has been a really great way to pull together folks with disabilities and older adults. And there is a Vision Zero pedestrian safety work group that we have been. 
um, really key on. And, and while we haven't necessarily focused on that, um, we have focused on things that are also really important. Like um, we created, this group created the first um, fully accessible bike lane booklet proposal, which um, to us in our world maybe not seem like a huge thing, but for public for um, public transportation and engineers, like this is a really big deal. It, it, it lays out best practices for making sure that bike lanes um, are accessible for everyone and they do not um, become, per, become a challenge for folks with disabilities. So there's a lot of efforts and initiatives and I think what this seeks to do is also help better connect and open communication between the different departments and the different areas, if that makes sense. Thank you, and that does make sense, and I think it's certainly important to have the communication and as many people plugged in as possible. Mm -hmm. But um, on some specific MUNI issues, MTA issues, have you seen any results? Um, for example, the Van Ness Improvement Project, which is not only taking far longer than anyone had anticipated for many good reasons, um, does not seem to have in any way mitigated the concerns of residents regarding the distances between bus stops or the design of some of the buses. Um, it is very difficult for seniors with or without disabilities to ride some of those buses when they can't get a seat mm -hmm. and um, or to walk two or three extra blocks to get on a muni bus. And so these concerns have been raised frequently and repeatedly, but I don't, and I'm glad they are continue, continuing to be raised, but I don't see any change in, in the MTA's approach to these issues. And do you anticipate getting any response from them that'll lead to some changes? We have already, and again, I will add, I'm not working on the same right. issue that's of a priority and a concern of you, and I, I hear, I know that that is absolutely a concern. I do think with this age and disability friendly effort, what has been really important in developing these partnerships and finding ways to really compromise is really working closely with them and understanding the context and the constraints that they're working with. And so, for example, the Van Ness is a deeply complicated project for reasons that um, I barely understand. But between underground utilities and serving different populations and uh, the Vision Zero goal of no pedestrian deaths, like there are so many challenges and different things that you're trying to serve. And I do know that um, there was proposal of bus stop removal on a certain block and then they changed that. So, but that's the extent that I know of sort of your world. But what I'm really proud of with this um, Vision Zero subgroup that we're working with is that um, we, this group worked really hard to highlight to the um, MTA and the planning around the Better Streets uh, market plan how certain areas are particularly dangerous for this population. And um, it took so much advocacy and hard work to really, um, first of all, have them come with us. So we gave them a tour. We understood their plans, their priorities. We did our homework. We brought them on a tour um, and brought folks with different abilities and challenges, walked across intersections, and so, you know, had multiple conversations, and now they have planners that come to this meeting to um, tell us about upcoming changes and to help anticipate because they're trying to adjust their framework and their policies to 
based on our input. Hmm. And that's more information than anyone needs, but I, I think it's that's the type of work that this has the potential for. It's slow. It's getting into the weeds. It's really understanding the nuances. Because if I ask MTA to change all these things, I better understand what their priorities and what that means for them, the cost associated. And that's where I feel like a lot of the wins have been, is that um, coming to the table, really highlighting, showing the experience of folks with disabilities and older adults um, to really come up with solutions and compromises that work with budgets and, and are realistic. but an improvement. Thank you very much. Um, any other comments or questions? Yeah, I have a question. Um, is Muni, the Muni is represented in your committee? MTA West, that. yes. MTA has an accessible services and um, they're fantastic. They're actually going to be, the accessible services is going to be doing a presentation at the long-term care coordinating council in December, I want to say. So if you have any questions there, they between the shop around and the go van, uh, van go and there's a lot of great resources I think that a lot of folks probably don't always know about okay how about the park and rec people um, we are working with the park and rec and I know our department it's sort of a, a little bit higher than me have been working closely with them too on a number of projects um, but that's that's one of the departments we'll be working with more in the coming year okay thank you mm -hmm. thank you I'm just taking a step back. I want to congratulate uh, all the people that must have been involved in this report, but especially you, because it's just a beautifully done report. So yeah. big picture stuff, congratulations. I know what goes into doing something like this. So, And I think it does really help establish a framework. It did reflect my world as it is, mm -hmm. you know, and as we live in a very urban center, a um, number of our commissioners do, that transportation component is is and is important for me to see that that's that's um, as reflected as housing and mm -hmm. everything else. So I do see it as just a great I'll call it a hook at this point. It's a way that you can articulate how that is an issue to um, people who are aging and disabled in this city, and that it's legitimate. It's it's relevant mm -hmm. that we have a purpose for bringing that up. So I think that's helpful. But I also didn't want to. Just I'm talking about it. It sketches such a, a broad outline and a broad way of tackling these issues that I hope we do include this as we rebrand, and we're letting people know about what we do and what there is out there. This is a great way of describing what our what our goals and mm -hmm. objectives are, and I think it would be very very helpful for someone to you know people getting getting this document. It's going to be just very useful to to get that San Francisco adopted this scheme for planning and is implementing it and, and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's a great vehicle to mm -hmm. adopt it here. So um, congratulations. Thank I, you. I, I know it's a first, these are steps, but mm -hmm. it's a good, good step. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank good you. And um, thank you very much. And my questions, I hope they were not misinterpreted. They were in no way intended to be critical of what's been going on. Um, I think the fact that you've done such a good job invites more questions and raises <laughs> expectations. But I would once again like, um, with the consent of my colleagues, recommend that MTA come to our commission and speak to us about what they have heard from adults with disabilities and seniors regarding the changes in transportation, restate their own objectives, which are laudable, 
and help us figure out how something can be done so that everybody comes out ahead in this process and that no one feels left behind. And so if we can work on making that happen, I think it would be very beneficial. Sure, so Bridget can work on that. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Any other comments? Thank you very much, Nancy. Uh, Valerie, excuse me. Um, item A, requesting authorization to enter into a contract with Resource Development Association Associates for the provision of consulting services for case management systems assessment during the period of December 16, 2019 through June 30, 2020 in the amount of $124,679 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $137,147. Welcome, Melissa McGee. Thank you. Good morning, President Serena, Commissioners, Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Melissa McGee. I'm a program manager with the Office of Community Partnerships at the Department of Disability and Aging Services. I'm here today to ask your approval to enter into contract with Resource Development Associates, or RDA, henceforth, for the provision of consulting services to conduct a citywide case management systems assessment for older adults, excuse me, and adults with disabilities. The 2018 Dignity Fund Community Needs Assessment highlighted the importance of case management services in the community. It also clearly noted that service providers consistently identified a need for increased capacity and consumers noted difficulties in navigation of the system. RDA will conduct an analysis of the citywide case management system for older adults and adults with disabilities to identify unmet needs, gaps in case management services, and assess opportunities for streamlining access and collaboration. RDA will work closely with DAS, other city entities, and community-based partners to provide the department with a comprehensive systems assessment report. This effort will be accomplished through a broad range of data collection and analysis activities. The outcome will be a systems mat map with key strengths and pain points and will outline targeted recommendations for quality improvement. I request your approval to enter into this contract. Thank you. Any questions? Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? Moved. Second. Second. Thank you. Um, any comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Melissa. The motion carries. Thank you. Item B, requesting authorization to modify the grant agreement with Unlock Day Services for the provision of the health promotion, physical fitness, and fall prevention program for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021, in the additional amount of $117,146, plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $996,460. Welcome back, Lori McFallon. Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Lauren McCaslin, and I'm a nutritionist with DOS. Today, I will be presenting on two health promotion grants that are provided by Unlock Day Services, physical fitness and fall prevention, and self-management of chronic health conditions. 
The purpose of these programs is to provide older adults and adults with disabilities with health promotion and disease prevention programs focused on chronic health education and self-management, physical fitness, and fall prevention. For this agenda item, I'll be presenting on the physical fitness and fall prevention program. This grant agreement began in July 2019 and is for physical fitness and fall prevention services, also known as the Always Active program. Always Active provides opportunities to participate in exercise classes that help reduce the risk of falls and injury, improve fitness levels, and maintain independence. Classes focus on topics such as cardiovascular exercise, joint mobility, strength training and balance, and unlock partners with organizations throughout the city to offer these classes. During the last grant term, the program added five sites and an additional eight classes per week. They currently have classes at 20 sites and host an average of 60 classes per week offered in multiple languages, including English, Spanish, Cantonese, and Mandarin. During the RFP for this grant term, Onlock proposed an additional staff member to assist with work important to maintaining the overall quality and function of the program. At the time, the funding was not available, but since then, DOS was able to secure funding to add an additional full-time staff to support the growth that has occurred with this program. I'm happy to answer any questions you have at this time. Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? So moved. Thank second. you. Do you have a second? Thank you. Um, any comments or questions? Yeah. If I could, um, did we have in here where the classes are um, currently offered? Maybe it wasn't important to the document, but I just wondered if we have that somewhere. Yes, yeah, so they... Um, I just didn't quite see it. Onlook maintains a website. It's called okay. alwaysactive.org, and they have on there, um, participants can look up by month or by day um, or week, uh, all of the classes that are available to them all throughout the city, and it would list the site, um, the instructor, and even the languages that the instructor would be providing the class in. Okay, great. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Uh, just an observation. A few years ago, at one of our meetings, we had a presentation on the importance of fall prevention. And one of the rather startling bits of information that was presented to us was that falls were the leading cause of death for individuals over 65. And so this, this is the type of program that literally can save lives. So um, with uh, any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item C, requesting authorization to modify the grant agreement with Unlock Day Services for the provision of the health promotion self-management of chronic health conditions for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $130,916 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $585,777. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. For this agenda item, I'll be presenting on the other health promotion program provided by Onlock, which is self-management of chronic health conditions. There are two evidence-based programs provided under this grant. The first is Healthier Living, also known as Chronic Disease Self-Management Program, which was developed by Stanford University, and Diabetes Empowerment Education Program, developed by University of Illinois, Chicago. Both programs are focused on education and tools to help participants better manage their chronic health conditions. Participants learn skills such as creating behavior change goals and coping strategies to manage their chronic diseases. Last fiscal year, 
Unlock provided 34 deep workshops at six classes each, and based on pre and post data over three years, 93% of DEEP participants showed improvement in understanding and managing diabetes. Due to changes in program licensing this year, the license holder for DEEP can no longer provide program support, such as materials and leader trainings. Therefore, the purpose of this modification is to cover these costs and support a part-time administrative staff to help maintain the quality of the program. I'm happy to answer any questions you have at this time. Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? Second. Second. Thank you. Um, any comments or questions? Any comments or questions for the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Lori. Item D, requesting authorization to modify the grant agreement with Asian Americans Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus for the provision of the legal services for older adults during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 in the additional amount of $21,231 plus a contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed, plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $234,535. Welcome, Rihanna Albert. Thank you. Good morning, Commissioners, President Serena, and Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Rihanna Albert, and I'm an analyst with the Office of Community Partnerships. Asian Law Caucus provides legal assistance in a variety of areas, such as immigrant rights, benefit appeals, and consumer fraud issues, and their specialty on this grant is housing. Their services are based in District 3, near the edge of Chinatown and North Beach. Their language capacity includes English, Cantonese, Mandarin, Vietnamese, Arabic, Tagalog, Korean, Hmong, Hindi, and Farsi. The modification for Asian Law Caucus will provide funding for the planning, development, and distribution of a quarterly legal newsletter and will be funded by one-time-only Dignity Fund funds. This will be a continuation of the newsletter as it already exists. With this modification, Asian Law Caucus will be the lead agency in preparing and sending out the newsletter. This will decrease administrative burden related to Asian Law Caucus billing the other legal providers for their costs as they have done historically. The newsletter is an outreach and educational tool that Asian Law Caucus publishes in collaboration with other legal providers. Content of the newsletter includes advice on topics such as housing, health, and public benefits, consumer rights, fraud prevention, and more. It is produced in four languages, English, Chinese, Spanish and Vietnamese, and they are planning to add Tagalog this fiscal year. It is distributed to various individuals and community-based organizations throughout San Francisco. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? So moved. Second? Second. Thank you. Any comments or questions? Hearing none, any comments or questions from the public? Again, hearing none, call the question. Those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Rihanna. Item E, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Next Village San Francisco for the provision of the village model during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 in an additional amount of 100,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed 
$405,186. Welcome, Michael Zog. Good morning, Commissioners, Executive Director McSpadden. Uh, my name is Mike Zog uh, with Office Community Partnerships. Uh, the item before you today is uh, some funding for Next Village, which is one of our two village programs that DOS funds here in the city. Um, the funding is through two uh, Board of Supervisors ad backs. We're seeing $50,000 uh, focused on District 2 um, and $50,000 focused on District 3. Uh, the District 2 funding is going to go towards um, some uh, supporting outreach and some new membership drive efforts in District 2. Um, the actual um, sort of on the ground will, will be a series of uh, events throughout the rest of this fiscal year at two libraries um, in District 2. Uh, the rest of the funds, um, are, a portion of the funds for District 3 are going to go towards them, uh, Next Village uh, securing or attempting to secure uh, their first uh, office space. Um, since they were uh, started in 2010, they have operated with no office space. Um, and, and in many ways, that was one of the kind of cool things about the village and their program and that they could serve, um, utilize existing spaces, members' homes, things like that for, um, for, for service offerings. But over the years, they've seen some issues with that, um, with recruitment and meeting of new volunteers. It can be awkward at, to have to meet in, at cafes and restaurants to do that. Sometimes um, uh, when they're recruiting or meeting with, with new members or current members, those members may not be comfortable inviting folks into, inviting staff or volunteers into their home to work with them. So, and, and then there's just sort of the, the everyday business stuff, the space of holding their materials and, um, and, and, and storage and, and, a, and, a, and a location for meetings. So they are hoping to resolve all those, th all those things by finding um, a small um, office space likely shared within another um, nonprofit organization or in, or in a larger uh, office building type, type situation. Uh, the rest of the funding um, through this ad back going to support those efforts with things for increased staffing um, uh, as well as money for materials um, and, and funding for rent. Um, that's about it. Any questions on this item? Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? So moved. Thank you. Do I have a second? Second. Second. Thank you. Um, Michael, where, can, what are the neighborhoods in District 2? Um, so they are going to, they are looking to uh, host events at the Golden Gate Library, which is at Vallejo and Green, and then the Marina Library, which is at Chestnut and Webster. Okay, thank you. Any, any comments or questions? Yeah, Commissioner did, you, Vincent? did you have a question? Oh, Katie Lou? Uh, I just uh, have a couple observations on the salary and benefit, okay. It seemed the executive director for such a small program is $100,000 a year, okay? And uh, which is um, like almost 25% of the money that we gave them. And secondly is the volunteer salary is uh, increased by 16.72%, okay? And this is the add-back money. What happened if there will be no add-back money? They have to scale back. So. I'm just wondering, uh, because I have seen other program, mm -hmm. uh, executive director, much bigger program, but the salary is not anywhere near 100000 That's, you know, my observation, that's all. Thank you. And uh, also I have a question on the, 
uh, operating expenses. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the program expenses, which is like $7,630? Yeah, let me, got that for you here. It's operating budget. Last page. <clears throat> yep. Um, uh, these go to, um, these are materials related to outreach events, um, including um, food or other supplies needed. They also use some of that funding to purchase um, disaster kits, which are very popular amongst membership. Thank you. Didn't, maybe I'll just try to quickly attempt to at least acknowledge and address the commissioner's uh, concerns about um, the salaries. Um, you know, this is, I think, something that is, is a challenge for us, you know, because we are in very changing economic times and, and high turnover um, amongst staff is something that is all our agencies are facing where salaries are not high enough um, and that's really impacting the ability to deliver work. So I think we want to encourage our providers to, to pay their staff salaries that are more commensurate with the inability, some ability at least, to, 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 to maintain their, their life here in, in the Bay Area providing services to our, to our clients. Um, I think that while we always, while we do look at, while we get to see the salaries across all agencies, I think there are very many different aspects that go in. Each agency is unique in what um, their services are they provide, what they're, what they're paying and things like that. Um, and it's tough for us to kind of meddle in that. I think here we have, in this example, we have an executive director salary which is not out of range. It's not necessarily at the higher range. I would put it in the, in the middle range of what executive directors are paid. Um, I think another unique thing as to this one is while we are talking about really three individuals plus an entire um, uh, volunteer base running this program, this is an executive director who is many ways the face of the organization and is out there working directly with the clients, which I think distinguishes it from executive director roles in, in other um, organizations. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Sort of a, just for some context, this you said there are other Next Village um, organizations throughout San Francisco. These are uh, correct. There is and one. Oh, we we fund through DOS. We fund two village programs. One is Next Village, which is focused in the northeastern section of the city, and then we have San Francisco Village, um, which is a citywide village program that we fund. And I guess what I'm getting at is that that you're talking about the ones that that are getting city funded, but aren't there organizations that are modeled like this that are sort of in like in Bernal Heights and I mean I've heard of, of different village organizations people people that live in different parts of the city have have created these organizations and maybe they're not funded by the city but they sure there are a number I think is right that this, right yeah there are a number of these sort of grassroots neighborhood based uh, type program. That's what I thought. So, yeah. so that that's just getting some context here. If I've heard of other ones, they just aren't the ones that are funded. Correct. Correct. And, and we've also yeah. kind of done this thing where we've had to be very strict in how we define what we call a village for our funding purposes, as we okay. look at our spectrum of services, so that it's not just a big blur. Um, and we uh, 
meeting the definition of what we call a village, which is sort of outlined in the scope of service, we have two of those organizations we fund. And then city. because of that, if someone happens to go to the library in District 3, and but they live in, because they hear about it, it's a public library, right? It's an right. event. Okay. Will they address that? Like if someone lives in a different part of the city, they weren't particularly meant to be part of that outreach, but they happen to go to that program, will they be informed about those other, other programs? Other opportunities? Yes. Um, they are, I, they can, they can choose to, they can, I, I guess they can ask about that and they yeah. can find out about that. They are not turned away from this, the north, the, from next village necessarily because of where they live in the I, I, I would, I wouldn't think so, just I, yeah. the, the logistics of a public meeting, but I just wondered about that because okay. I just know that there's more of that, more interest in it, more pro proliferation, so. Yeah, just, it's, it's a good point, yeah. something I can check about. That others may be interested. Okay, thank you, yeah. Thank you, Commissioner Salona. Yes, thank you. Um, I wasn't on the commission when this program was first um, approved, and I, I just, I'm curious how the um, membership fee works and yeah. from whom is that collected and what happens if the person can't afford to pay? So, yeah, so fee. this is a unique program. The Village Program is a membership-based um, organization, and it does, we, sent, we ask for an annual membership fee that we set at, uh, a minimum of $120 per year, though the agency can set, can adjust that as they see fit. Um, why we find this interesting, this is, the village model is one that um, developed outside of DOS. Um, I think both of them started around 2009, 2010. We became involved maybe three years later or so. Um, they interest, they became, to our attention and became of interest to us for a couple of reasons. I think one is an interest in the model itself. I mean, this is really a high, um, uh, uh, highly focused on member satisfaction and that that organization needs to keep that person engaged and, and be responsive to the services that they need because every year they're going to have to get them to continue to contribute to keep that organization alive. So I think we are interested in that and in, in, in it being a highly consumer focused um, uh, program. The other thing we saw with this is that this is, these are programs that typically um, are popular with um, uh, moderate and upper, upper income um, uh, membership, and that's not always a, a, a group that we've been the best at reaching with DOS services, and we are here to serve all older adults and adults with disabilities. We certainly um, target our services towards folks in the greatest uh, economic and social need, but um, we saw this as an opportunity to reach a, a population that we're not usually getting um, and helping them um, get services and information about aging and aging-related services that um, are not, that information is not necessarily, um, uh, just money doesn't necessarily get you that information. And if, if I could just quickly add to that. Um, so what, one of the things that we saw in the community needs assessment that we did was that we know we're doing a really excellent job of serving people at the greatest economic need and, and um, you know, over one in two people. And so we really wanted to figure out a way to, to reach what is known now as the forgotten middle because those are people who often are not served in, our, in any system and we wanted to make sure that we were doing that in some way. And, and it is, as Mike said, it's a great model that has a lot of social engagement, a lot of um, momentum by itself. But one of the other things we know, because we've, we've um, 
heard this across the country, is that the village model is really hard to sustain by itself. So having some government partnership in it really helps make it much more sustainable, especially in a place like San Francisco where the costs are so high. All right. Thank you. You answered my question. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Michael. The motion carries. Item F, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Felton Institute for the provision of community services during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 in an additional amount of $50,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $307,045. Welcome back, Rihanna Albert. Thank you. Good morning again, commissioners. The modification for Felton will provide funding to support additional staffing allocations for the Community Services Program. The Community Services Program aims to increase socialization opportunities for consumers, provide physical activities that may improve health, and bring people together for educational or wellness purposes. Their services are based in District 10 in the Visitation Valley neighborhood. Their language capacity includes English and Cantonese. The program provides a range of activities to consumers at the community center, from computer lab tutoring and ESL classes to chair yoga and outings to local parks. In addition, they will be offering a three-week disaster preparedness class beginning this month. Since programming began two years ago at this site, they've gotten a better sense of the true costs and needs for this program. With this modification, they will be able to provide an additional 144 hours of activity scheduling and an additional 23 hours of enhanced outreach. They will also be able to serve an additional 38 unduplicated consumers. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? So moved. Second. We have a second. Second. Thank you. Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Rihanna. The motion carries. Item G, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Q Foundation doing business as AIDS Housing Alliance, SF, for the provision of limited-term housing subsidies for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of November 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2021, in the amount of $1 million plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $1,100,000. Welcome, Rick Appleby. Uh, good morning, President Serenia, Commissioners, Executive Director McSpadden, and Bridget. Um, I'm a program analyst with the Office of Community Partnership, Rick Appleby, and um, we were really pleased again this year to get a Board of Supervisors ad back to help us with uh, um, limited term housing subsidies. If you recall, a couple years ago, we got our first funding for that, and then this year we received the $2 million. Um, the RFP um, uh, allowed for five years, so we um, sort of recalled the previous contractors uh, one of which is Q Foundation. And Q Foundation has been around a long time as AIDS Housing Alliance. They're one of the primary subsidy agencies in the city. Um, and um, we're glad to be able to help them do these uh, 
limited term subsidies again this year. And the term limited term subsidies really has to do with the fact that we have a limited amount of money and that there are many situations for people where they only need help for a short period of time. Um, a lot of other subsidies are ongoing, maybe lifetime for people in serious situations who can't afford their rent. But in this case, we're looking for folks who need a shorter amount of time um, within the two-year terms of this contract. Um, and Q Foundation is one of those agencies. Um, I'm happy to answer questions. Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? So move. Move. And a second? Second. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Um, I have a couple of questions. The, um, under the, on page three, it says that the amount of the subsidy and the length of the subsidy will be determined based on the client assessment of need, resources, and transition <coughs> plan for, for moving off the subsidies. And then on page four, the second bullet point says that the subsidy goal will be to bring the household income to a rent ratio of 30%, although the client portion and the rental subsidy will be decided based on assessment, financial resources, and need. But there's, no, there's nothing here, language, about the limit in terms of how long the subsidy could last. And if the ratio doesn't get to 30%, what happens? Um. The, in this particular case, the subsidy in this contract will end by the June 30th of 2021. So we're looking at that length of time so since it's means, a limited amount of money. Okay, um, excuse me for now. I just want to make sure yeah. I understand. That means that someone receiving the subsidy, it could end in two years even if that individual's need has not changed. Uh, yes. Um, and the 30% is a guideline and if it doesn't quite get to 30% because of the subsidy, that's okay during the course of this um, uh, contract. And we did sort of try and provide some flexibility to meet everybody's individual needs in this. It's um, not as strict as some of the other contract models. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yes. Um, it's a bit open-ended. Um, but the, um, as you read, folks are to be, you know, uh, informed that this particular program is of limited term and when it will end. Both agencies, Q Foundation and the other, um, all have components of case management, uh, uh, either through their contacts in the community or within their organization to help people find other housing, to find employment, to find social benefits that can help them ongoing after the end of this particular subsidy. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Commissioner Knudsen. How do people um, know how they can access these programs? Is it generally just through the agency or is there a broader way that people access a system and then they're referred to the agencies yeah. for help? There's a variety of ways. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Q Foundation has a list of referral agencies that are like primary, so those agencies have direct connection with Q Foundation. Um, certainly the DOS Benefits Hub is aware of these programs and can refer people. I think um, hospital social workers are primary referral. Um, Mayor's Office on Housing knows of these subsidy programs as well of their own. 
So there's a lot of avenues by which people find Q Foundation and other subsidies. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Rick. The motion carries. Item H, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Self-Help for the Elderly for the provision of limited-term housing subsidies for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of November 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $1 million plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $1,100,000. Welcome back, Rick. Thanks. And the other agency that we'll be working with is Self-Help for the Elderly. Um, la the last contract we had two years ago was the first time they started doing subsidies, so we're glad to be able to help them with that again this term. Uh, as you all know, Self-Help for the Elderly is a large, multifaceted organization, so they bring a lot of assistance to bear um, when people are in housing crisis. Um, again, employment, case management, all the things that self-help has to offer, they put in place to help people in the moment and then when they, the subsidies end. Um, what else can I say? Self-help for the elderly, um, their model tends to focus on people who need shorter, really shorter term subsidies of six months or less. So they're looking at folks who are in immediate crisis, um, you know, maybe who were injured and lost their job, um, had a husband who passed away and, you know, can't afford the rent. So they step in and really try to help the people right in the moment um, and for a limited time. Now, it goes beyond six months sometimes, but that's really their intent to find other services for those folks within six months. It's a different kind of model that we're used to in housing subsidies, but they were really successful last time, and I'm sure they will be again this, this time. Thank you. Um, any comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Uh, we do have some. Thank you. Please step forward. Hi, good morning, com uh, commissioners and director McSpadden. Um, my name is Emily from um, Self Help for the Elderly. Thank you. So I would like to thank you for this generous uh, funding for um, this program. We just want to give you a quick uh, snapshot of the clients you have served for this program. So over um, sixty-five percent, um, the client in this program. Uh, they pay more than 65% of their income to rent, and some of them pay 90% uh, over um, uh, from their income to rent. And the majority of these clients live in, in SROs, and some live in affordable housing, but with extremely high rent. Some live in uh, in-law apartment and also private apartment. We were able to receive total of 287 referrals and provided uh, 220 seniors um, an adult with disability in the 15 months uh, term. So over 90% of these clients were stably housed after they ex exit this program through their customized housing plan and linked to supportive services. Um, 57 uh, referrals were screened and linked to supportive services without providing any subsidies. 
Um, so there was a diversity breakdown. So 57% are API uh, population, and 23% are Caucasian, 12% are African American, 5% are Latino, 3% are American Indians. So I would like to thank DAS for this opportunity for us to serve this client, and we look forward to continue to do that. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Item I, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with YMCA of San Francisco for the provision of community services during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 in an additional amount of $50,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $166,375. Welcome, Paolo Salta. Good morning, Commissioners, Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Paolo Salta, Analyst with the Office of Community Partnerships. Uh, this modification is will restore and stabilize uh, community services um, funding and service levels at the Richmond YMCA branch. The center's uh, newest branch to the Department of Aging and YMCA Community Services Partnership. Um, this is a bustling hub in a community where folks of all ages congregate. Um, there is a um, full functioning gym, a lap pool, and a multi-level space for activities. Uh, this funding, of course, um, will support um, activities for older adults and adults with disabilities, which include Tai Chi, um, sit and be fit, Zumba, Mahjong, bridge, flower arranging, and day trips. Uh, last year, participants were able to experience the Ohlone Cultural Tour at the Presidio and um, visit the Tilden Park Botanical Gardens. And, and over summer, some were able to spend two nights at the Point Bonita YMCA, where they participated in hikes led by naturalists, um, attend yoga classes, and um, campfire activities. The center's language capacities, English, Spanish, Cantonese, Russian, and Tagalog. I'm open to answering any questions you may have. Thank you, Paolo. Um, any, may I have a motion to discuss? Second. Second. Thank you. Um, any comments or questions from the commission? Commissioner Knudsen? Really quick question. Does somebody have to be a member of the Y and pay membership fees to get into these programs, or is that not? Not, 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 not really. Um, there are a few activities that um, you have to be a member for, but a majority of the activities that are offered for older adults and adults with disabilities are free, and okay. you don't have to be a member. Okay, that's good to yeah. know. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Question. Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Paula. The motion carries. Item J. Requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Curry Senior Center for the provision of community services for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $33,406 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $587,391. Welcome back, Rick Appleby. Thank you. 
Um, as you saw in the documents, the California Department of Aging is supplying some funding to do additional outreach around the CalFresh expansion, and Curry Senior Center is one of those agencies that will receive this funding. The hope is, particularly in the Tenderloin, that uh, this additional outreach will get to more people. Um, I think it says in here that the Tenderloin is one of those areas where there's a high eligibility and not necessarily high awareness that people are eligible for CalFresh. So Curry's right in the Tenderloin and we'll do additional outreach um, to get as many people onto the new CalFresh, um, under the new CalFresh rules as possible. Um, they're a long time agency, we know them well, they're right down there on, uh, in the Tenderloin and um, it was nice to see them um, supplement some of their salaries in that of staff who have additional language capabilities. So we look forward to them doing this work. Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? Second. Thank you. And second, thank you. Um, any comments or questions from the commission? Hearing none, any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Rick. The motion thank carries. You. Item K, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Sequoia Living for the provision of community services for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $103,405 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $1,435,639. Welcome back, Paolo Sullivan. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, this modification will cover two items. Uh, the first is um, Sequoia Living, the downtown center, will also be receiving CDA funding to support um, outreach activities for the CalFresh expansion. Um, again, this includes application assistance and outreach. Application assistance is, of course, the provision to help clients in completing the application and collecting the verifica verification documents needed. And outreach will inform potential clients about the availability, elig eligibility requirements, application procedure, and the nutritional benefits of CalFresh. And then the second is to fund a coordinator to lead and expand their living well aging well program. This best practice community services program was first conceptualized and developed at their other branch at the Aquatic Park Center. The purpose of living well aging well is to support older adults and adults with disabilities in seeking, finding their own pathways to living well as they age by integrating the resources available currently at the multi-service center. Um, it's really trying to change from a center with classes and programs to an intentional community to support for personal and multidimensional growth. Um, the coordinator will conduct an initial assessment with interested participants and individuals. Um, and the individuals are able to set um, their own personal goals um, for um, increased well-being. This assessment is later used to measure individual progress and evaluate outcomes. Their theory of change is that using a person-centered approach um, that, embrace, that embraces all modalities of human development, program participants will thrive, set their own direction in life, and achieve personal well-being in the community. Um, the center's language capacity is English, Cantonese, and Mandarin. I'm open to answering any questions you may have. Thank you. Paolo, may I have a motion to discuss? 
So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. Um, one quick question, Paolo. Is Sequoia Living, is it in any way associated with the Sequoias, the Continuing Care Retirement Community, um, which is a Presbyterian organization? Yes. Yes. It is? Okay. It's all part of the same organization. Sorry. Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, any comment, Commissioner Liu? It's not a Presbyterian group. Oh, I thought this, the Sequoias is, I believe, but. Um, it's now non-sectarian, I believe. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Liu. Okay, there's a typo. Uh, the funding modification, uh, the contingency and total should be reversed, okay? Contingency is 10,341, the total is 103,405. See that? Just on the first page. Oh, here. Yeah. The, tot the total is correct, but then the contingency column should be moved to the total column currently should be moved to the contingency. You have the same document? Yeah. yeah. It's just, just, we will, we will it's make a sure typo. it's correct. It's just a yeah. typo, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner <laughs> Liu. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Paolo. Item L, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Golden Gate Senior Services for the provision of community services for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $30,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $1,146,653. Welcome back, Rick Appleby. Hello again. Um, uh, again, a uh, Board of Supervisors add back to help um, Golden Gate Senior Services at Richmond Senior Center to continue their collaborative work in District 1. A couple of years ago, they officially started a Richmond, I'm going to forget that acronym, but a collaboration, a networking of District 1 providers and advocates and consumers to come together on regular meetings um, and start talking about increasing awareness um, of residents of District 1 about what services are available and start doing somewhat of a needs assessment in the community at large. Um, at the end of last year, they provided a, a resource directory as part of their contract um, to of listing all the different agencies in District 1 that's available for people. Um, this year, we're going to continue that work. They'll continue to have the collaborative meetings on a regular basis. Uh, they have a staff person dedicated to this work. And this year they're gonna be focused on um, prioritizing the advocacy issues for older adults and people with disabilities in District 1. So the work of the collaborative group will be talking about that, having some focus groups, and pulling together um, a report that talks about what's most important to folks who live in that district. Thank you. Um, may I have a motion to discuss? So moved. Second. Thank you. Any comments or questions from the commission? Commissioner Liu. Uh, Rick, what is the uh, um, community music center 
they have $10,000. What do they do? What is it? I'm sorry. Uh, it's the capital expenditure detail. So, Commissioner, while, while Rick is looking for that, that the Community Music Center, th that piece is for, oh. the, for the choirs. Oh, right. For one of the choirs. Thanks, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. I have <laughs> they support, put them. They support so the choir. They deserve to be funded. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Any other comments or questions from the Commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion Thank you. carries. Thank you, Rick. Item M. Requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Legal Assistance for the Elderly, Inc. for the provision of legal services for older adults during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $90,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $750,611. Welcome back, Rihanna Albert. Thank you. Good morning again. The modification for legal assistance to the elderly will provide funding for a financial abuse attorney and will be funded by one-time-only Dignity Fund funds. Legal assistance to the elderly provides a broad area of legal services to older adults with their areas of expertise being housing and elder abuse prevention. Their services are based in District 6 near Mission Street in South Venice. Their language capacity includes English, Mandarin, Cantonese, Toisanese, Spanish, and Korean. With this modification, the financial abuse attorney will work in partnership with the Adult Protective Services Financial Abuse Virtual Unit, or FAVU, to respond to complex financial abuse cases. FAVU is a team of attorneys, social workers, and law enforcement. The financial abuse attorney will assist older adults who are victims of financial abuse. Some examples of cases that fall under this area include family exploitation, undue influence, and fraud and scams. In addition to representation, this attorney will also lead trainings and workshops on how to prevent financial elder abuse. And the program plans to serve 30 clients this fiscal year. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. May I have a motion to discuss? So moved. Second. Thank you. Any comments or questions from the commission? Just an observation, this is a very important program and the collaborative approach is really, really critical to making it succeed because there's so many people that get involved, so many different agencies and um, it's, it's a rampant problem. And so it's important to take steps to address it. So, um, any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? The motion carries. Thank you very much, Rihanna. Well, we are down to general public comment. Any comments from the public? Seeing none, motion to adjourn. So moved. Do I is seconded, <laughs> reluctantly seconded? Yes. Thank you. The meeting's over. Second. <laughs> One of